Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Hello, everyone. Good to have you back on another episode of Texas Ag Today. I'm your host, Kerry Martin, and we've got the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. And we cover all of Texas, from the Piney Woods of East Texas all the way out to the rocky ranges of the Trans-Pecos, and from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley. Just like we saw with our summer crops like corn and cotton, the new winter wheat season in the Texas High Plains is already being challenged by a lack of moisture. I'm James Hunt and I'll have that story coming up on Texas Ag Today. Texas ranchers in areas hit by drought may qualify for aid through the Livestock Forage Disaster Program. I'm Jessica Domel and I'll have details coming up on Texas Ag Today. Fertilization of winter pasture should be based on full test recommendations to maximize forage production and prevent applying more fertilizer than is needed. I'm Dr. Vanessa Olson from Overton. We'll have those stories along with the latest news from Washington, Texas wildlife news, and a complete look at the markets all coming up. Well, the 2021 wheat crop is now in the ground and growing, but there's still a lot of uncertainty about how this new winter wheat season will go in the Texas High Plains. James Hunt has more from Amarillo. I think right now we're just kind of in a precarious situation. We've got the crop up, and for the conditions that we've had, most folks are telling me it looks pretty decent considering. What Steely Fishbacher of Texas Wheat Producers means is considering how dry things have been in the Texas High Plains, where despite that snow and rain three weeks ago, our precipitation totals remain well below normal both for the year overall and for the period since the wheat season began. And with a pessimistic moisture outlook for the winter months ahead, Fishbacher says it's difficult for farmers to be very aggressive about doing any early marketing of this season's crop. We do have an attractive cash price, but at the same time, when you're looking out at the field and you have really dry conditions and a forecast for lower than normal precipitation, it's really hard to take that move. And Fishbacher says what happens precipitation-wise over the next few months will influence farmers' decisions on whether to graze out their fields or carry their wheat all the way to grain harvest. In Amarillo, James Hunt for the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Texas Congressman Mike Conaway took to the House floor this week to deliver his final floor speech. Conaway thanked his staff for their hard work and support, especially the staff of the House Agriculture Committee, which Conaway chaired. My professional staff in D.C., and most notably the outstanding folks at the House Ag Committee, who've done incredible work for me and production agriculture and rural America over the last six years including Madam Speaker, Madam Speaker, passing a farm bill at the same calendar year that it was introduced. Conaway is retiring after 16 years in Congress. Texas ranchers who have suffered diminished pasture quality due to drought may qualify for aid through the Livestock Forage Program. Jessica Domel has more. 
Justin Benavides, a Texas A&M AgriLife Extension Service economist, recently discussed the U.S. Department of Agriculture's Livestock Forage Disaster Program, or LFP, during a webinar hosted by the Texas and Southwestern Cattle Raisers Association. I wouldn't recommend using this in a planning sense because you can only get this after an application and if you meet certain drought standards. If you don't use this and you qualified, this is throwing away free money. LFP is available to livestock owners and contract growers who have covered livestock and who are also producers of grazed forage crop acreage that have suffered a loss due to drought. Beef cattle, dairy cattle, sheep, goats, and llamas are all listed as covered livestock. If you produce grazed forage crop acreage, native improved pasture, um, or certain crops or grazing, you will qualify for this program. And again, there's maps that will show you if that crop um, is eligible based on drought conditions, and it will pay you if you achieve certain drought thresholds, which a lot of us already have in the state of Texas. So this provides a payment when there was a loss of grazed forage due to those qualifying droughts. LFP payments are based on a county level. Payment eligibility depends on the level and duration of the drought. These are different thresholds that a drought must meet in order for indemnities to be paid out through LFP. So we have a D2 drought for eight consecutive weeks during the normal grazing period. Um, So that's where it's going to get a little different if you are grazing during a non-normal grazing period, which is going to vary by county and region. There might be some complications with indemnities in that case. But in general, most of the time, if you've just achieved D2 drought for eight consecutive weeks, then you're going to receive assistance equal to the cost of one monthly payment. D3 in any area at any time, you're going to receive three monthly payments. A D3 drought for four weeks, a lot of us unfortunately have already seen that in Western Texas. Or D4 drought at any time, some counties already classified at D4, equal to four monthly payments. And another thing that's interesting is this is any part of your county in any level of these droughts. So if any part of the county that you're in has been in a D4 drought at any time, these payments are available to you. Even if, you know, looking at that map, part of your county was only in D2. Livestock raisers in the Panhandle, West Texas, Far West Texas, parts of South Texas, and the Rio Grande Valley may already qualify for aid due to the drought's impact on native pasture. A map of qualifying counties is available on the FSA's website for the Livestock Forage Program. The FSA's website is fsa.usda.gov. That's fsa.usda.gov. Under Programs, click on the link that says Disaster Assistance Program and then Livestock Forage Program. For this program, eligible livestock raisers must apply by the end of January. Again, today's comments from Justin Benavides from the Texas A&M AgriLife Extension Service. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Dolmel. Soil testing can make sure your pastures are getting the nutrients they need, and it can save you money. Dr. Vanessa Olson reports from Northeast Texas. One of our advantages in the cattle industry is the ability to grow and graze winter forage, cutting the need for stored forage and cutting supplemental feed costs. However, to get the most potential out of winter annuals, it takes fertilization. Nitrogen fertilization of overseeded small grain or ryegrass is usually split into three or four applications of 50 to 60 pounds of nitrogen per acre each. The initial nitrogen application should be delayed until after the small grain or ryegrass is established and cool temperatures have reduced warm season grass growth. Additional nitrogen can be applied every six weeks as needed. 
Two applications are often sufficient in central Texas with lower rainfall and heavier textured soils. Three or four applications are required on the sandy soils in east Texas. Nitrogen fertilization of overseeded ryegrass is usually split in two to three applications. The initial nitrogen application should be delayed until after the ryegrass is established to reduce nitrogen utilization by warm season grasses. Additional nitrogen can be applied in midwinter and early spring. Phosphorus and potash fertilization for cool season forages should be based on soil test recommendations and can be applied at planting or after emergence. If more than 75 to 80 pounds per acre of potassium are needed on sandy soils in East Texas, it is recommended to split into an autumn and late winter application because of leaching. This is Dr. Vanessa Olson with Texas A&M AgriLife Extension in East Texas for Texas Ag Today. The annual Thanksgiving price survey by the American Farm Bureau Federation shows lower prices for a traditional Thanksgiving meal this year. Michael Clements has the story from Washington. The Farm Bureau survey tracking the cost of traditional Thanksgiving dinner items dropped roughly 4% from last year. AFBF Chief Economist John Newton says the cost of an average Thanksgiving dinner continues to be less than $50. This year our volunteer shoppers across the country found that the average price for a Thanksgiving dinner for a family of 10 came in at $46.90, down about 4% from what we saw last year and the lowest level we've seen since 2010. On the turkey side, the most important component of the meal, a 16-pound bird came in at $19.39. That's down nearly 7% from last year with an average price of $1.21 per pound. Newton says the survey reflects changes in commodity prices this year. On the dairy side, we saw whipping cream come in at $1.74 for a half pint. That's down 16%. And I think that reflects what we've seen happen in the dairy industry this year with butter prices and cream prices having fallen pretty significantly from last year. A lot of butter moved through the restaurant channel and with COVID-19, we've seen that demand diminished and those prices move lower. Newton says the results of the survey shows a traditional Thanksgiving dinner remains affordable for consumers. I think what we see is Thanksgiving continues to be affordable, less than $5 per person. So I think consumers have the luxury of continuing to get that 16-pound bird or even a larger bird and still add some additional fixings on the side, maybe a ham, mashed potatoes, or green beans to make that dinner more special. Find the complete survey results at fb.org. Michael Clements, Washington. A new USDA milk production report adds weight to forecasts for a substantial increase in milk output next year. USDA's Gary Crawford has more. More milk, more cows, more milk per cow. That's the gist of USDA's latest milk production report covering October. USDA reporting October's dairy herd 43,000 head more than October a year ago, each cow giving about 37 pounds more milk, taking milk production up 2.3% from October a year ago. And for this year and next, we uh, continue to increase our production forecast. USDA Outlook Chairman Mark Cheganowski puts total 2020 output at 222.5 billion pounds. Next year's output up at just under 226 billion. Based on continued growth in milk per cow, and especially into 2021, we anticipate the uh, dairy herd to expand as well. All that could push milk prices down 55 cents below this year's average. And Mark says with feed costs expected to rise from 12 to 20 percent. Could squeeze the margins a little bit. This is Gary Crawford reporting for the U.S. Department of Agriculture. How effective are hunter education courses? I'm Jessica Domel, and I'll have the answer on Texas Ag Today. 
And how does foot trimming affect a horse's behavior? Texas veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd answers that question coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today. After my first car accident, I feared the biggest damage would be to my wallet. I expected a mountain of bills and a long, drawn-out process. But my Texas Farm Bureau insurance agent was there when I needed her and helped me get back on my feet and in my car in no time. Instead of a hassle, I got reassurance and a quick recovery. Visit Texas Farm Bureau Insurance today at tfbinsurance.com to find an agent who's there when you need them most. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Getting your horse's feet trimmed could have an effect on their behavior. Veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd takes a closer look. The horse publication indicates that a recent study indicated that in the week following foot trimming and reshoeing, horses in the study took more steps than before the trim and seemed to spend more time in a relaxed position. Dr. Jay Daniel is a professor at Berry College in Georgia, and in the study, the scientists fitted seven riding horses with accelerometers on one hind limb, and the horses wore the device for 23 hours a day over a two-week period. Halfway through the study period, three of the horses underwent trimming and reshoeing, while the other four underwent the handling associated with trimming and shoeing, but the procedure was not performed as these horses were used as the non-treated control group. Results indicated the horses with fresh trims and shoes spent more time lying down after the trim than before the trim, and this makes it seem that horses were lying down more, indicating their feet were painful. However, Dr. Berry believes this indicates the horses were more relaxed and were lying down for that reason and not pain. There was no evidence of pain, tenderness, or heat in the feet, so no foot soreness was noted. Also, the lying down period was not exceptionally long, but was significantly longer than before the trim. Dr. Daniel indicates that this study shows that most horses are actually more comfortable after trimming and reshoeing than before, and that trimming and reshoeing by a qualified farrier should not make their horses uncomfortable. My concern with this study is the few number of horses involved, and that the assumption that the horses were lying down more because they were relaxed is an assumption by the author and not proven. If you have any questions about this shoeing and trimming study, contact me at TexVet at TXFB.org. I'm veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd. This is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. How effective are hunter education courses? Jessica Domel answers that question in today's Wildlife Report. For more than 30 years, the state of Texas has required hunters below a certain age to take a course in hunter safety. A study reveals that requirement has paid off. According to the 2019 Texas Hunting Incident Analysis, Texas has seen a substantial decrease in hunting-related accidents and fatalities since hunter education became mandatory in 1988. That year, 18,000 hunters in Texas took hunter education. There were 12 hunting-related fatalities and 70 accidents reported. Last year, which was 31 years after the hunter education requirement went into effect, more than 56,000 hunters have completed hunter education, and there was only one hunting-related fatality and 21 accidents statewide. The number one cause of hunting-related incidents during the general hunting season is careless handling of firearms in and around vehicles. 
Steve Hall, the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department's hunter education coordinator, reminds all hunters to keep their firearms pointed in a safe direction at all times. Hunter education is required for people hunting in Texas who were born on or after September 2, 1971. There are two options for hunter education, online and basic classroom. The online option is only available to hunters 17 years old or older. Details are available on the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department website. That's tpwd.texas.gov. tpwd.texas.gov. On that site, click on Hunting and then Hunter Education. Again, that's on tpwd.texas.gov. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I am Jessica Domel. The cattle market drifted lower as we wrapped up the week. We actually ended up closing mixed in both live and feeder cattle futures, but we did see a higher close in both cotton and wheat on Friday. We'll take a closer look at all of the livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets coming up next. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today. know what to do if you're stuck on the railroad crossing? Get out of your vehicle. If a train is not approaching, find the blue and white emergency notification system sign on the traffic signs at the crossing. For help, call the number on the sign and give them the crossing number so they know your location and can alert train traffic. Remember, find the blue and white to save your life. For more information, visit OLI.org. giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. We saw a mixed trade all week long in the livestock complex. We wrapped things up on Friday with live cattle closing mix. The feeder cattle mostly lower. December live cattle down 15 cents, 108.10. February up 12, 110.65. April live cattle up 25 at 114.45. Feeder cattle mostly lower. January down 95 cents, 134.60. March feeders down 57, 134.37. April feeder cattle down 40 cents, 136.17. Cash fed cattle market steady all of the week. We ended up selling most of our fed cattle on Wednesday, Thursday, a few on Friday at 110 on a live basis. Most of those sales, of course, uh, down south here in Texas. When you move up north, dressed sales at 172. Both of those prices steady with the previous week. Boxed beef on Friday, mixed choice up 80 cents, 238.50. Select down 12, 213.77. Let's go to the auction barns now. We'll start with sheep and goats, San Angelo producers, livestock, the nation's largest sheep and goat auction selling 6,894 head of sheep and goats for the week. Compared to the previous week, wooled feeder lambs sold steady. Slaughter hair lambs firm to $20 higher. Slaughter ewes weaker. Kid goats 10 to 15 higher. Slaughter nannies $1.20 to $1.90, mostly in the range of $1.50 to $1.70. Mature billies $1.80 to $2.38. Wold feeder lambs, $1.70 to $2.96. And the slaughter lambs, the lighter weights, were $2.20 to $3.30. Heavier weight slaughter lambs, $1.60 to $2.54. Slaughter ewes, $0.70 cents to $1.16. 
Kid Goats 220 to 370, mostly in the 265 to 330 range. Now checking a feeder cattle auction, we go to Columbus. Columbus Livestock selling 1,731 head. The trend was steady. Two to three weight steers, $1.25 to $1.95. Three to four weights, $1.20 to $1.90. Four to 500 pound steers, $1.15 to $1.85. Five to six weights, $1.10 to $1.60. With six to seven weight steers, $1 to $1.30. And seven to eight weights, 95 cents to $1.21 a pound. Slaughter cows, 30 to 66 cents. Slaughter bulls, 55 to 82. Stocker cows, 550 to 1150 a head. Cow calf pairs, 750 to 1250 a pair. Back over to the futures market now, where lean hogs closed higher. December up 42 cents, 64.12. February hogs up 230. 65.35. Class 3 milk higher December up 42 cents, 16.01 100 weight. We had a big triple digit gain in the cotton market on Friday. Several bullish factors in the market. The technical factors on the chart looking really good for prices. It looks like the speculators are net long in this market. That's supporting prices also. And there's the optimism in the market that a COVID-19 vaccine is just around the corner. So that's helping to support prices as well. We close with December cotton up 156 points Friday, 70.88. The March contract up 129, 72.96. Dry weather continuing to support the wheat market. December Kansas City wheat up one and a half, five fifty and a quarter. New crop July wheat up two and a half, five sixty nine and a half. December corn was up three quarters, closing the week at four twenty three and a quarter. Energy markets higher. December natural gas up six cents, two sixty five. December crude oil up forty three at forty two seventeen a barrel. The financial markets lower. The Dow Jones Industrial Average down 219 points, 29,263. The Nasdaq down 49, 11,854. The S&P 500 down 24, 3,557. That wraps up our look at the markets, and that puts the wraps on yet another episode of Texas Ag Today. Be sure to check with us next time. We'll be waiting right here to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. I'm Terry Martin, and don't forget, you can always find it right here on Texas Ag Today. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.